Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, recap, last couple weeks, John has covered jhana meditation and the four foundations of mindfulness. So, week one and two of the truth of happiness. And now we're on week three, which is the four noble truths. Hopefully, um, you all read week three of John's book, The Truth of Happiness, and were encouraged by his words. Lasting peace and happiness can be developed through this practice of heightened wisdom, virtue, and concentration. So I'm going to read a little excerpt from John's book. Everything the Buddha taught for the last 45 years of his life after his awakening was taught in the context of the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha's teachings develop a few specific skills so that a few but profound tasks can be accomplished. The skills to be developed are heightened concentration and refined and dispassionate mindfulness. Concentration or samadhi, a non-distracted quality of mind, is the foundation for the refined mindfulness necessary to accomplish the tasks necessary to awaken. Each noble truth has a task uh, attached task to accomplish associated with it. All right, so these are my words. These four truths, these four noble truths <laughs> highlight the importance of developing a meditation practice and a mindfulness practice. Jhana meditation, which again, John reviewed last Saturday, must be practiced to develop concentration. The broader mindfulness practice, which is developed by reading the suttas, coming to class, and engaging with the sangha, must be developed so that we can recognize ignorance in our own minds and abandon it. So I just want to remind you of something that our teachers, many of our teachers have reminded you of in the past, and I have as well, that the Buddha, <clears throat> an ordinary human being, spent the first part of his life fairly sheltered from suffering. And once he was exposed to suffering, he began to question it and look for a way to resolve it in his own mind. I feel like all of us have experienced that. It took him years of investigation before he arrived at jhana meditation. But once he resolved to practice jhana, he awakened within weeks. Weeks? Am I right about that? Sure. Without these teachings, he developed a life of lasting peace and happiness. Then he spent 45 years teaching others to awaken. And that is where these teachings come from. Some of the individuals that he taught awakened in a single teaching. Now, I'm not telling you this because I'm, I'm saying you should be awakening in a single teaching. Stand by. After his awakening, the Buddha's teachings, which are preserved in the sutras we teach, were designed to cut through the conditioned mind of the person or people he was teaching. So 
as we're still in sort of the beginning of this, um, this book that outlines the entire path, the entire practice, I think it's important for you to be reminded that it's not necessary for you to be able to recall every single term, every nuance, every causative link, every hindrance, every factor of awakening. It's not necessary for you to like absorb all that and remember all of that in order to get down to the business of practicing or awakening. Because again, a lot of these teachings were designed to cut through the conditioned binds that the Buddha was teaching in that moment. And once your mind has been cut through, once you have taken in these Four Noble Truths, they can't be taken away from you. The Four Noble Truths aren't going anywhere. You can ignore them or forget about them, which you probably will, but they are always there for you. So here they are as Don presents them. Life is stressful. That's number one. Clinging and craving cause stress. That's number two. Cessation of stress is possible. That's three. The Eightfold Path develops the cessation of stress. That's number four. So these are my words. Number one. Sort of a cliff's note, cliff notes here, and then I'm going to elaborate on one, and then two, and then three, and then four. So dukkha occurs, worldly phenomena are impermanent, they arise and pass away, and as we saw last class when John discussed the four foundations of mindfulness, internal phenomena or the breath, thoughts, feelings, and mind states are also impermanent. Number two, clinging and craving perpetuate suffering. So... Noble truth number one, stress occurs, it's part of life. There's not really any choice there. But number two, suffering is perpetuated by clinging and craving. There's a little choice in there. Now, it's not like you're choosing to cling and crave. It's not like suddenly you can go, you know what, today I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to choose not to cling and crave. I wish, but no. But the choice is in developing a practice where you can release clinging and craving. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because that's really number three. Number three is uh, we can experience cessation of suffering. We don't have to suffer. So stress, I'm sort of making a little distinction here between stress and suffering. Stress is sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair. We're not getting away from that. But we don't have to cling and crave when the stress arises. That's what causes suffering. Number four, develop the eightfold path to eliminate stress and suffering. So initially, John's words to discuss the four noble truths. I'm sorry, the first noble truth, the truth of stress and unhappiness. Life is stressful. This is, these are John's words. Stress occurs impersonally to all. 
As a consequence of birth, we all are subject to physical phenomena, which no one, regardless of social position, intellect, religious or spiritual understanding or grace can avoid. We are all subject to sickness, aging, and eventually death. Along the way, we will all face loss, some minor, some quite devastating. According to our environment, we will acquire views of how we should live our lives, who we want to associate with, what we would like to achieve, and an endless list of likes and dislikes. All of these experiences and the resulting discriminating thoughts cause and contribute to stress. We all know that every experience is subject to change. Impermanence and uncertainty are a part of life. Underlying this knowing is a subtle tension. We know that certain activities may bring disappointment or sickness. We may not feel secure financially and fear of personal physical loss will be present. Whatever our position in life might be, we create attachments to our lives being a certain way. These are different for everyone, but the result is the same. And then this is a little bit further down. Simply as a consequence of living, we move towards death moment by moment. Along the way, it is certain that there will be physical difficulties living in and maintaining a physical body. There are likely to be mental and emotional difficulties as well. John also writes about positive experiences can also, this is me paraphrasing, can also be stressful because we know they will eventually end. In the words of Sariputta, one of Buddha's chief disciples, birth is stressful, sickness is stressful, aging is stressful, death is stressful, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair are all stressful. Not getting what is desired is stressful. Receiving what is undesired is stressful. And then for those of us who've heard that before, we know it's, it says the five clinging aggregates are stressful after that. But I'm going to hold that off until later on in the book when John discusses the five clinging aggregates. So these are my words. The first noble truth is being human is inherently stressful. So just that, just remembering that. Even as a person brand new to the Dhamma, it can bring a sense of calm because I don't have to fix it. I don't have to maintain the idea that it needs to be changed right now. Sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair, not getting what I want getting what I don't want. These are hard and difficult things. And suffering occurs when we tell ourselves these things are not difficult or they aren't happening or they shouldn't be happening to me. Just by being a human being, you will experience birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. You will not get what you want. You will get what you don't want. So this is a noble truth because it is the nature of the human experience that the human mind by its nature will avoid, will be averse to. 
If you just go about your life existing in the world, not only will you experience these things, you will try to avoid them mentally. You'll tell yourself they're not happening. Sometimes it'll be so subtle, you won't even hear the words, it's not happening. You'll just feel like you're supposed to think it's not happening or they shouldn't be happening. And that makes you suffer more because you start to believe yourself, think that you need to do something about this stress that naturally occurs. This leads to the second noble truth, but I want to stay with this first noble truth for just a moment longer because the subtle reality here that John's expl John explains well with the next excerpt from the book is that the human mind will naturally turn away from stress. <clears throat> he has the most words on the four noble truths discussing the first noble truth. So that Not so that we develop a meditation of the things that cause stress, but so that we observe them, we look at them, we stay with them, and we notice what happens in our minds when we do. This requires concentration, which is why we do jhana. Because what can naturally happen with no meditation or mindfulness practice is stress overwhelms the mind. You know, physiologically, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol, we freak out, we lose our minds. We can't stay with what's happening. It is possible to stay with what's happening. So again, I'm not saying that you need to go home and look at dead things or and work on being okay with it. Above all, be gentle with yourself. My point is that these difficult things are things that we're not in the habit of just being with and not reacting to. So we need to practice learning how to ultimately accept these things without taking them personally and perpetuating our own suffering. <clears throat> John's words, the impermanence of all things, including our view of ourselves, the pervasiveness and unavoidable nature of stress, and the ego self as an impermanent personality formed by experiences, environment, and associations. These are known as the three linked characteristics of existence. In the original Pali language, they are anicca, dukkha, and anatta, or impermanence, stress, and the not self. You will look deeper at these three characteristics of existence in week seven. But for now, these, and these are my words, it's just important to understand that wrapped up in this first noble truth are these three marks of existence, dukkha, stress, anicca, impermanence, and anatta, the not-self or the ego-self. They interplay, and these three concepts together work together to cause suffering. Anatta, the part of the mind that is obsessed with sensory pleasure, obsessed with having certain feelings and thoughts and qualities of mind, an intellectual understanding and mystical insight and not having other feelings and thoughts and qualities of mind and intellectual understanding. It's the aspect of the mind that, that's distracted by impermanent phenomena and the part of the mind that suffers because it is incapable of experiencing life as life occurs. And again, because it is part of the first noble truth, it isn't going anywhere. 
Anatta isn't leaving. You're not going to get rid of Anatta, even if you awaken. You'll gain insight on Anatta. You'll understand it. You'll learn to observe it dispassionately. You'll zoom out from it. You'll unbind from it. You'll stop using it to define yourself. This will lead to lasting peace and happiness. I've heard Sangha members refer to Anatta as the gathering, achieving, protecting, defending aspect of mind. That aspect of mind allows us to orient and identify ourselves as discrete individuals who depend on this land, this social group, this food source to survive. And as children, especially, this is an imp imperative aspect of the mind. But as adults, it has much less value. It's just a little tiny part of the mind. And it does not belong, belong in the driver's seat of your life. In fact, it's the part that gets in the way of experiencing life and being at peace with what's occurring. Um, and it pulls together all of your thoughts and feelings and views and internal sense of self and hijacks your mind. And the more you ignore it, the more it takes over. But the Buddha has laid out for us how to use our mind to gain massive, massive perspective on anatta so that it shrinks down to a little tiny aspect of our mind. So as you go through this study, if anything starts to feel or seem burdensome with regard to the Dhamma, or cumbersome or difficult or complicated, and you get frustrated or overwhelmed, might be Anatta. It might be Anatta setting up booby traps of doubt and worry and restlessness in attempts to keep you ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. It doesn't have to keep you ignorant. But that means you must stay vigilant and learn how to recognize when you're letting Anatta take the wheel. The task associated with the first noble truth is to fully understand stress. So those are John's words. And this chapter teaching will definitely help to do that. But again, be gentle with yourself. It doesn't have to all happen at once. Second noble truth, these are John's words. The truth of the origination or of unhappiness and stress. And let's read that again. The truth of the origination of unhappiness and stress. Clinging, craving, desire, and aversion all cause stress. Wanting the people and events of your life to be different than they are is craving or desire. Attachment to the people and events of your life to remain as they are is clinging. Clinging arises due to a singular identity as your personality, who you think you are, is all that you are. Due to the initial wrong view of yourself, you believe that your personality is all that you are. As a consequence of this wrong view of self, you've developed a constant need to defend and satiate your ego personality. So. John's talking about the ego there. He's talking about Anatta. So when we take in the first noble truth, 
there is stress because the nature of the mind is to is such that it automatically moves away from what's stressful. This constant movement away from stress causes suffering. I need to get away from the stress. I need to fix it. I need to change it. I need to solve it. This shouldn't be happening. Why is this happening? I'm sorry, I'm just reading some of my, skipping over some of my own commentary. That's Anata reacting to stress and also using it to define me and also creating more distraction in my mind so that I don't look at the Four Noble Truths. This is clinging and craving. We cling to the idea that this suffering will end on its own as long as we just keep avoiding it. We believe that suffering will never come to us, even though it's already here. As long as we stay averse to it and keep it at arm's length, as long as we continue to ignore it, we create for the moment when suffering will end and we continue to look for it to be gone. We wish for suffering to end. This doesn't end suffering. I hope I'm not sounding like I'm trying to tell you to like dive into your suffering. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying if you find yourself in this kind of monkey mind spin space, bring yourself back to the four noble truths. You don't need to dive into your own suffering. You need to come back to the four noble truths. You need to come back to reminding yourself that stress occurs as a natural consequence of life and my mind will try to avoid it. And that is okay. I just need to come back to my breath. So the task associated with the second noble truth is to abandon craving and clinging. And what does that look like? Come back to the sensation of breathing. In order to abandon craving and clinging, we have to look at the first noble truth. This is happening. This is part of life. I don't have to fix it, change it, solve it. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. I'm going to come back to my breath. Here we begin to put space between the stress and the idea of me and how it's my fault. I'm no longer attaching to that stress. When we cease clinging, we experience the cessation of stress, which is the task associated with the third noble truth, which I haven't even read yet, but about to. John's words on the third noble truth. The truth of the cessation of unhappiness and stress. It is important to remember that it is within the environment of impermanence or anicca that stress arises, and it is also in the environment of impermanence that unhappiness and stress ends. Impermanence gives rise to clinging, but impermanence also allows for the cessation of suffering. If the nature of all phenomena were not impermanent, cessation of stress would not be possible. We've identified the problem as stress. We've identified the cause of the problem, craving and clinging. We've seen that experiencing the ending of stress is possible. 
the task associated with the third noble truth is to experience the cessation of stress. Then we keep going with the fourth noble truth. The truth of the path leading to the cessation of, of dukkha. We will develop deeper understanding of the Eightfold Path in next week's class. A brief introduction will suffice for now. As stated, the Eightfold Path is a framework for developing heightened wisdom, heightened virtue, and heightened concentration. The first two factors of the Eightfold Path are the wisdom factors. The next three factors are virtuous factors. The final three are the concentration factors. The wording should not be taken in a strict moral sense. Rather, the wording describes that there are definite right views and actions to take that will prove effective in achieving the end of stress. The implication is that there are also wrong views and actions and unskillful applications of mindfulness and concentration that if not recognized and abandoned will continue confusion, stress, and unhappiness. Referring to the Eightfold Path as a framework for the Dhamma practice is a reminder to be mindful of all thoughts, words, and deeds in relation to this path. The Eightfold Path is what we are to be mindful of if we are to succeed in eliminating the effects of stress on our own lives. The Eightfold Path is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right meditation. So over the next couple of weeks, our classes and the Truth of Happiness book will elaborate on the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path was designed by the Buddha after he awakened. The Eightfold Path sets up your life and your mindfulness such that you will be easily funneled into the Four Noble Truths. Deep, full understanding of these truths is what is necessary for life, for a life of peace and happiness. The Eightfold Path will get you there. It is designed to help you recognize anatta, ignorance, craving, and clinging in your own mind so that you can unbind from these mind states and not allow them to define your experience of life. The task associated with the fourth noble truth is to develop the path leading to the cessation of stress. So I just want to do a quick three, two, one review. Four noble truths. Life is stressful. John's words. Um, and that is my little excerpt here is just dukkha occurs. It's not personal. Um, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair is suffering that arises when we identify with impermanent phenomena. Number two, clinging and craving cause stress. Number three, cessation of stress is possible. Number four, the Eightfold Path develops the cessation of stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like laughing? No laughing. I feel like I, I'm, I'm, you know, there's holes to fill in. So I'm glad there's lots of teachers here. I can, I can do that. Can I just say wow? Oh. <laughs> I mean. Thanks. Thank you. Um, you know, I really, one more thing I wanted to say was I just, in my personal experience of interacting with the Dhamma and with the Sangha, 
the most important thing is that you are gentle with yourself. <laughs> so I was not going to get emotional, but it's happening. There is no way I would be able to be gentle with myself in the amount that I am because of the Sangha. Constantly being a reminder to just be kind to myself. Just remember that the nature of mind is to be hard. Be tense, be mean, and just, you know, especially if you're just starting out learning this stuff, just really be kind. And even if you think you're not being kind, or if you think you are being kind, try just to be a little bit kinder because that, that undercurrent of self-loathing is insidious in my experience. So thank you all for just reminding me. John, I can't even tell you. Every time, the first whole year I was here, it was like every time you had a chance, you were like, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with yourself. And you know, part of the reason that I think John reads the Carnia Metasutta at the end of every class is because it is a gentle reminder to just have compassion for yourself so that you can have compassion for everyone. Okay. We'll go around the room. I'm going to start with a teacher. How about Brian? Do you always get called on first? I feel like you do. You're a really tough act to follow, and that's kind <laughs> of not fair today. Um, that was wonderful. It's so good to hear you teach. Um, what what struck me as you were going through that in the first noble truth impermanence is at all level of existence from the subatomic to the galactic everything is change and that change inherently is stress we have no control over that it, it's just the fabric of reality that it's and the the only thing in that first noble truth that we have any modicum of control over is anatta or the ego and it's through our understanding of ego and through our understanding of impermanence that we find relief from stress it's not whether we can ever eliminate it it's only that we can understand it and understanding our contribution to it by our craving and clinging and our desire and our aversions. And you're, you also touched on something that was, was meaningful as well, is that the ego is just one small component of our broader psyche. And it has the propensity to take over the entire mind space. And, and that that's all we think we are is that ego. And, and once you develop concentration in jhana and you develop understanding and wisdom, 
it does get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and has less and less impact over your life. And you get to you start to see all these other subtle things that are happening in your mind that were otherwise obscured by the ego. Um, it's wonderful teaching. Thank you, my friend. It's good to see you. Thanks for that summary. Perfect. Yeah, you gotta go. Oh, yeah. Thank you. What a wonderful teacher. <laughs> Thanks for coming. You guys haven't say anything. You gotta just take off. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the set. No, no, no. <laughs> you got anything? It's the, it's the most, I, I, I find it's the most important thing in all of our Four noble truths. Yeah. Most important thing. That's what if you guys can't hear. Cool. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming. Good to see you. Good to see you. Mary. Um, I really, your mother would be very proud uh, if she were whatever time she zone she's on right now. Uh, looks like she's having a wonderful time. Um, you really did a nice job. And I picked up on the same thing about impermanence that um, your language around it's the problem and it's the solution, right? So it's the, um, and then you add the be gentle to with yourself because it's, it's about the accountability, um, being self-accountable and self-empowered mm -hmm. in your life by recognizing what is impermanent, trying not to fight it, but also knowing that what is causing you difficulty is, uh, as it is with your breath, going to subside. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences for things. And some of those might be difficult consequences, but um, avoiding the degree of difficulty and the ringer that we put ourselves through when something is stressful or if we've made a mistake or, um, you know, came off the eightfold path in some way, it's all there to get, you know, back and focused. Um, recognizing impermanence and everything, you know, comes and goes. I mean, it's just like our breath, it's just predictable. So um, I thought that was really powerful. And I also um, just wanted to let John know that I did use the guided meditation um, a lot more frequently. And it occurred to me why that's such an excellent suggestion, even though, you know, for some of us, we may, you know, just be doing it on our own and in silence. It really is a reminder about that gentleness, that ebb and flow I just talked about. Um, it's really important. And I think it's also really important, even for those who have been meditating for a while, to, to return to it recall why it is so helpful, because I think that that's important for anybody who's newer to the practice to use the guided meditation, because there may be some people that aren't meditating twice a day yet. And that's an opportunity through the this course to for everyone to experience the entirety of the practice, which is 
you know, trying to get to, you know, twice a day and having that rigor and coming to class and preparing for class. And it's all of those things together. And then in participating in these discussions, all those things together are what puts you on the path and help you as uh, Jen was saying about the difficulties and some of the challenges you might run into in the practice. And maybe that makes you feel like, oh, this isn't working for me or whatever. It's all the more reason why you need to double down on the important things like trying to get to meditating twice a day and having that rigor of a practice. So um, just wanted to share that I've enjoyed going back to the guided meditation. So thank you. Great job, Jen. Thanks, Mary. Yeah, you reminded me that as well. I uh, same exact thing. I did start using the the meditation, the guided meditations again as well, and had the same kind of experience. Um, and also, just a couple other things you reminded me that I wanted to say, which was that you know, um, Anatta is uh, the thing that is doing the suffering. So stress happening in life things happening that that you know sickness aging that's our regret pain distress despair things happening that i don't want what all of that is not we we that is experience there's in between that and peace and happiness is a re um, an anata reaction of the mind that with this practice will subside and those things can occur and our experience is not necessarily suffering when we come into contact with those things that is the that is the teaching that is the the thing to hold in mind to remember um that it's not we don't have to get rid of stress or not experience stress in order to be awakened it's not like we're doing something wrong if we're experiencing stress that's what i'm trying to say um and the other thing is is that uh you know i just wanted to say for me personally i when i first started a meditation practice i actually did two minutes twice a day just because i was you know I was just resistant to like having the time to do um, anything more than that. So um, a habit can be developed with just simply even one minute a day. You know, if, you, if you're, if, if it's time to meditate, you know, it's time and you're like, I don't have time, just a minute, just a minute, just put that, you know, habit in um, anything, anything at all. Just even if it's just to establish the habit. Um, those things take time, they take patience, they take gentleness. And so if five minutes is too much, do it for a minute. Um, okay, how about we go to Tom, teacher Tom. Good morning or good afternoon. Hi, I don't know. Uh, good, good evening, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the Philippines, so it's a bit okay. late here. Um, thank you very much, Jen. Really enjoyed the teaching, as did everyone else. Um, yeah, so I, a couple of things that I sort of picked up on. Um, I think when you said, it was quite helpful for me when you said, um, 
being human is stressful and this in itself can bring calm um uh because you've finally realized that you don't have to change it right i think that's what you said and it it just got me thinking so i've had a really busy stressful week and um there've been times where it's been really difficult to meditate and um not to say that i didn't meditate i did but i just found it quite difficult to for my mind to settle and <clears throat> it's something that keeps coming back is just just reading a sutta can bring so much calm even if it's a sutta you've read five times before it's not saying anything that you don't know um normally right because you've read it before and yet it's just reminding yourself and it's just the, that awareness that knowledge itself of um of for example the four noble truths or the three marks of existence i just think it's it just sort of reminded me that you know sometimes um it, you know sometimes maybe if you're really stressed or you're really busy then the, the point the way in is actually mm. to read a text and that calms you a little bit and then you can meditate after that um at least that's just from my experience and so but i, I totally get you on that it's just it's just that suddenly um um a weight is lifted off your shoulders as soon as you're reminded you're like, oh yeah of course i'm just suffering the it's just <laughs> true <laughs> It's amazing, isn't it? How we, we, we're so deeply programmed to forget the thing, the things that we should know, well, we do know off by heart, really, and yet and yet yeah. we forget. So anyway, so I found that that really helpful. And then um the other thing, which again, I've I've taught the four noble truths and I've a few times and I've obviously studied them a lot. And um I kind of always saw the third noble truth that it is possible, the the um ending of stress and suffering is possible as almost like a theoretical thing like oh yeah in theory it's possible but i don't know it's the way you taught it it, it made me realize it's it's not it's it's it you it is like it is possible because you can experience it ending right and that's that's through jhana meditation and that's through through concentration and then of and course by the reading the sutta, you just explained it you just experienced it you read the sutta and you went Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then the and then the eightfold path is really setting up your life, like living your life in such a way that you gradually chip away at, at all of those things that bring more and more suffering into your life. I'd never seen it that way before. I was taught it as like, oh, and the good news is, for no truth, it's possible, guys. And then I was like, okay, now we're going to get to the fourth one and I'm going to tell you how. And it's like, no, 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 actually the third one is in itself. The, the cessation will, you, you can experience it. So anyway, that was just a little, I'm sure it, it was probably just a light bulb moment for me. But anyway, <laughs> if I can't share with you guys, then who can I share with? Thank there you. you. Go. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, it's something you were talking about with, um, you know, the the tendency of the mind and anatta is to establish itself in every thought we're indeed. So it will use whatever it is that you're doing to I make, to to identify, you know, this is happening to me, this is how I can reestablish myself in the next moment, in the next moment. 
the more things that we do in our day and the more kind of achieving, gathering, collecting, problem solving kind of habit that we're in with our work, you know, that sort of gives Anata the momentum. Mm. And so when you, when you, how do you interrupt that? I mean, that is wrong mindfulness. What do you do? You enter and remain in right mindfulness. How do you do that? You engage in the Dhamma. You practice the Eightfold Path. Whether that's sitting jhana, whether that's reading a sutta, whether that's engaging in the sangha, whatever it is. Mm. And as soon as you, as soon as you recognize that you're in wrong mindfulness and you come back to right mindfulness, then you will know what it is that you need to do to bring the eightfold path in in that moment. Which is what you did. Yeah. 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 Super helpful. Yeah. Cool. Um, so how about the Klein family? <laughs> it's Captain Klein. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So um I'm kind of stuck on the the four noble truths. The second one is what really hit me the most. It's because of like suffering and going through things and um just basically life itself, you know? And when I was reading the book, I got up, to, I did my homework. I got up to chapter uh, week three in the truth of happiness. And um, it's just common sense stuff. You know, it's, it's just real life, just how to live your life. So that's about it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Thanks John. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah. 1230. <laughs> Jeff. Not much I can add today. Thank you so much for the teaching, Jenna. It was really beautiful. Happy birthday, Jeff. Happy birthday. <laughs> You're four days you. late. <laughs> happy belated birthday. How about Deborah? Hi, Deborah. Hi. I have a question. Um, and I was hoping you could help me with the answer. Okay. Um, it has to do with my work. I work with uh, high school and special ed students. And there are days where I have all of the teachings that I do, and I'm not specifically talking about uh, the subjects. I'm talking about coping skills and things like that for their ADHD and things like that. Right. When I have a particularly, sometimes a particularly hard day, I find myself after that situation, I find myself upset because I didn't guide them in the right way and they fell apart and I sit there and I concentrate trying to figure out what did I miss? And I really don't have anyone to talk to about this at school, but is that what you're talking about when I'm beating myself up over the situation? I'm actually getting verklempt listening to you explain that verklempt, I would say it wrong. Um, because I completely relate. Yes. Does that is being, that is, I'm also a teacher. I don't know if you know that. I don't teach special ed, but I, but I do teach uh, very, very smart students, which is pretty much special ed. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not a teacher, teacher certified. I'm a paraprofessional. Okay. So like, 
I came into this three years ago with zero training and I feel I still have zero training. I'm just winging it. Well, so yes, to answer your question, I would say that that Do is I what I'm talking about, beating yourself up. Absolutely. And so, and it's great that you're recognizing it because anything that pulls you into the past or the future in your own mind is Anatas. So you are sort of reviewing what happened in the past. And now reviewing what happened in the past has some value when it is constructive and practical. If it's upsetting you, if you're getting, if you're, if you feel that sense of I did something wrong, then it's, it's not serving you. No, I don't feel like I've done something wrong in what I've been telling the kids. I feel like, well, maybe I am doing something wrong because I don't have enough knowledge. I, I, inadequate. I I'm inadequate for what's in front of me at the moment, at the moment. And I, I don't like that feeling. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I know you, I, I understand not liking that feeling. Um, that feeling is going to arise and pass away on its own. There's nothing you need to do about it. There's nothing in you that you need to fix, change, or solve to um, make it be any different in the future. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, I would venture to guess that you've done your best in that moment. You did your best. And if you have no support system or you don't feel as though you have enough support, um, you're, then all you can do is your best in that moment. And good enough. Yeah, take carrying it, carrying it around with you isn't, you know, after work is is doing nothing but draining you of your already, you know, really compassionate work. I mean, all it, yeah. So I hope that's helpful. I mean, it is. I'll keep thinking about what you said today, <laughs> David. There's the technical aspects yeah. of what she's lacking because of the poor training or late career jumping into, and that's obtainable. Right. But the training that you just gave is what's dealing with there's Duca. And equally important, but your teaching is something that applies to each part of our life mm. or relationships growing older and you know, you can go on youtube and right learn technical <clears throat> but dealing with the duke and understanding is something that you know, 
endeavors just getting into as well. So, yeah, I guess <clears throat> I don't know if you could hear what David was saying. Kind of. She he bar she barely heard it. Okay, I can paraphrase it. So help me if I don't do it right. Um, so there's sort of two ways of there's two kind of concepts here. One is, um, you know, if if you feel as though you don't have the proper training or that you need to have a change in what um, knowledge you have with regard to moving through your career more skillfully, that is definitely something you change and learn um, with time um and you know investigation but that's not that's outside the dhamma with regard to the dhamma i would say um you know that's where it's important to really be gentle with yourself in that moment because the tendency of the mind is to sort of uh regret resent um just cause more suffering than is necessary for you to do whatever it is you need to do to in, in, improve your abilities as a paraprofessional. Jim? Yeah. In, in my notes, I, I, I was kind of exploring the, uh, the common reaction of blame when you're experiencing uh, stress. You know, one of the one of the common reactions is to blame others or blame yourself, which is, of course, self-loathing. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, which which is interesting because that then feeds into your own intentions. Yeah, and creates more of the same situation. Yeah, so that's personalizing it, right? Yeah. Excellent. Well, that's, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering if I was taking things personally yes. because it, some days are great. Well, there aren't many. Some days are great in the SPED department, but they're few and far between. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I'm personalizing the next phase when I feel like I'm missing something or don't know how to help this student. And maybe I just need to just, if it goes awry, it goes awry and tomorrow's another day or it's another minute or another hour. And also just being with the sense that, you know, the feeling of helplessness that you have in that moment is just part of the human experience. And that, that feeling that, to today, that today was a bad day is obscuring most of the day when it was a good day and you were serving your students well. And one or two things happened that you took personally and the whole day became a bad day. And so when you start letting go of those harsh views, you start realizing the, the other 99% of your life and your, even your professional life, which is excellent. And you're present for your students and you're doing something constructive. You also have to take into account that you're meeting people that may not be able to meet you directly and, and understand what you're saying but you're still doing your best so those good days those bad days are really good days that you're obscuring by your judgment of yourself you follow me Deborah? i do i do john and i don't want you to think that my 
thought process is the entire day is a bad day. Um, right. But some of the students that I'm dealing with have anger issues and things like that. So when it does blow up, and I use that term literally, there are times when it's really tough. That's where you're I, and I think I'm on the right path. I'm able to, I do have a lot of good during the day. A couple of days this week were just really hard. And you still live them. <clears throat> I do. Now you're done. I have, more, I have more gray hair, which I love. <laughs> I used to have gray hair. You're, what you're <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Deborah, you're talking about the basic practice. Yeah. It's you, you're what you're talking, what you're dealing with is aspects of taking life personally. And the whole Dhamma is about recognizing that. And as as Jen, just an elegant, excellent teaching, you you learn, you, you gain the ability to take a breath in the moment, becomes mm -hmm. habitual, yeah. and you stop taking all of this personal, and then you realize what you are. You're a human being doing something. Yeah. And the important part is to be is to be present for the doing, not for anything else about that. Yeah, and yeah, I would say just keep practicing because you're already starting to recognize, you know, your your own personalization of something, and that's just going to get better and better with time and practice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Deborah. <laughs> Um, Drake. Hi. Oh, Drake's here. Hey, Drake. Hello. Uh, well, thank you. I, yeah, I never really thought of Anata as, uh, you know, designating that as the ego as a not. I thought it was more of a, you know, general, all conditioned phenomena, not self, not I, not mine. But I, that is kind of useful. And uh, I was also, I was creating a lot of, unnecessary suffering for myself with attachment at work and resisting and not liking you know developments and uh so i was kind of thinking about fundamental ignorance you know like the and taking responsibility i knew it was like i was creating it myself and that's kind of like the ignorance and uh and then the so the eightfold path was like right view right intention and then right intention is like non-harming goodwill and renunciation and the desire to, for renunciation you know kind of in the context of desiring to let go of the um, non-acceptance of the situation you know and uh, so I'm kind of just kind of trying to you know understand how to have a healthy under you know like a useful way of understanding renunciation uh, it kind of felt like you know it's to be able to interact in a in an environment that's constructive without you know really disturbing yourself um so it's kind of like it's not necessarily you have to let go of all the uh like your involvement in the business or whatever but it's more like um not having to get your own way and uh, letting personalities be personalities and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So John's going to talk about the wisdom factors next, next week, right. You and right intention. But I will say now 
uh, sort of preliminarily right intention is the intention to hold in mind relinquishing, craving, and clinging. Mm -hmm. So really it's, at first it's just going to be recognizing when I'm wanting something to be different and it's causing stress, but eventually creating enough space between the stress and yourself to not have that suffering, not even start to crave and cling, just accept what's happening. And that takes time, but it does work. This practice will get you there. So you don't have to renounce everything in your life, just craving and clinging. Yeah. If you read the Bahia Sutta, that, that gets to the essence of what you're talking about and not taking things personally. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. The Bahia oh, Sutta. Link right on the homepage. Oh. And it's linked at the top of the homepage. What's it called? The Bahia Sutta. Okay. Thank you, Drake. Dr. Kevin. Nice to see Hi, you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the teaching, Tan. It was really great. And it's great to review this. You know, and doing it over and over and for several years, you know, it, it's just that you come to realize the four noble truths are true. I think they're just irrefutable. At first, it seems logically they are. They're explained. And it says, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's true. And then with the practice and with keeping in concentration, you, we come to see for ourselves that there is a deep truth to them. So that's the greatest thing about it. Uh, still, the most difficult thing is anatta. You know, uh, in deep concentration, perhaps anatta finally quiets down, but then quickly uh, off our cushion or off my cushion, anatta is back. Yeah. So it's harder, you know, well, easier as the years go on, maybe to uh, recognize it and then try to maintain that calm. One other little thing to add in, um, is that I also have been using the meditation, John's meditations too. And, uh, you know, I find it so natural when we're in, in Sangha, like online or in person, it's perfect. You know, I think there's no other way to do this. But then on my own, it was actually a little bit distracting the first couple of times I did it because I'm not used, I usually have a, a beginning and an end point period. And there are no uh, callbacks, no five minute dings or dongs. I don't know how to do that even. Um, so um, it, it actually would, you know, surprise me thinking, oh, it's over. Oh no, it's not over. It's, you know, this is just five minutes, you know, so. But actually after doing it for um, these this week, it's been uh, easier and more natural again too. So, thank you. Thanks, Dr. Kevin. Nice to see you. Um, let's see, let's go around one here. How about Bridget? Showed up on, zoomed in on you first. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I was thinking, I was going to say the same thing I say every time you come here. Wow, this teaching is really right on time. <laughs> and then I was kind of going on me like, of course it is because it's intentional like the buddha laid it out this way and john maintained it this way and i've heard you guys say so many times like well that's the ingenuity that's the brilliance of it and i don't think it really kind of fully clicked until i'm like oh yeah 
So maybe this really, what I would just say, like mentally insane week I just went through was a part of the growing process <laughs> because I was thinking all week, like, oh my God, I don't even know if it's possible to be this gentle with myself because I felt like I noticed all week that I'm not like all week like okay I had like this epiphany with David's teaching and I felt like I had the light bulb moment and I'm meditating and I'm trying to use right view and good intention and I was like, right intention and like then this whole past week I was just like nuts like completely without and but the thing is, is now I'm noticing it. So yeah. this, it seems like more. I've been that nuts all along. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. now I know it. So I'm like, just keep reminding yourself that you're you're seeing it. So that's good. Yeah. You see in this moment, you've lost your mind. You're taking a breath. You're trying again. You're starting over. And I saw, oh, look, you're nuts again. <laughs> so I was like, like I, I experienced a lot of self-loathing. And right. I think too, like, it's uh interesting the timing it's just like the big triggers came up this week something with both of my children safety my car i'm starting a new job so i'm like telling myself okay these are things that would normally bring up a lot of stress you haven't developed the april path very deeply yet so that makes sense you know that you would you know, Anna, uh, Anata would, you know, be happening and you'd be, and okay, you see it. So just be gentle with yourself mm -hmm. and you will develop wisdom. But then it's just like coming here and then you're, you know, and you're talking about it. And I'm like, okay, like, because it, part of it was my mind wanted to reject the Donna this past week mm -hmm. so badly. Yeah. Just wanted to say the practice isn't enough. Yeah. The Dhamma isn't enough. This isn't sufficient to, to address these big problems. And I kept telling myself, no, that's your mind. That's you just want to say that because this is hard work. You know, and like I was aware of it. That's awesome. So it just I feel so much gratitude that I could come here and have that like just be so perfectly timed I'm sure it was intentional but I just <laughs> I get so emotional because every time I come here I feel like oh I have this big thing there's no way the Dhamma's going to solve them and it just does every time <laughs> it's like oh look, there's the answer for that yeah right? like that would probably happen with any teaching any mm -hmm. teaching would probably have something that would help me you know address yes. what I'm going through so maybe that's going to help me just relax and trust that yeah. um, we'll yeah. always have something. Yeah. But thank you. There was so much in your teaching that was just so helpful. So I cried every single class <laughs> for the first like two years that I was it's here. Just so much relief. Yeah. So because much relief. Like, yeah. You know, especially like as a mom, you just you take on so much, and it's not even useful some of what you're taking on. Mm -hmm. You know, you have responsibility. But I just see that you know all this stuff on me that's just getting in the way. That can help me be more skillful. And that's a great example of you like not eat. I mean, I don't know if you have heard the teachings on the hindrances. A little bit. But 
that's going to come up in a couple, I don't even know, a couple weeks, few weeks, seven or eight. week seven or eight. And that nine, you're talking about what you're talking about there is you doubt, uncertainty, and ill will towards yourself. These are all hindrances that come up and you recognize them as nonsense and you let them go, which is exactly what you're describing when you said, you know, it, forget it, the dom is not good enough. You know, you you recognize that right away as just not self. Lucky, yeah. Really and so that's, you know, the dom is working for you. That's great. I'm excited for every week. Good. Good. Well, and that's that's why it, Sonya is such an important part. Uh, mm -hmm. Because we have those moments. Even if you listen to this outside of, out of this setting, I don't know if you get that same it's inspiration helpful. and insight. It's very helpful. Yeah. And that way I don't have to miss much. But yeah, being in inside. Being here. And even when I participated online, uh, yeah, just a lot of time, even that was different than yeah. listening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you learn the most important thing to be a piece of being nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're just being a human being. Yeah. Actually, it reminded me that I was, uh, like, I work in the city of Philly. I say the city in Philly, not New York, but, um, you know, there's a lot of craziness you encounter just walking to and from, you know, the office, and I had a very stressful moment that seemed that, you know, could have escalated and been dangerous, and then it passed, and I was able to remain calm, but instead of attaching to it and personalizing it, uh, not that I thought it was funny, clearly the other person was suffering, and I was sorry and compassionate for that. But I was able to just completely just drop any personalization right. and just say, this is part of the absurdity That's right. of life. Yep. And I thought it was John. <laughs> yeah. And it's not you. Yeah. Right. A, it had nothing to do with me. You know, once it passed and for the moment that it was near me, yeah, okay, that was dangerous. I had to use my mind to make sure I was safe. But when it passed, I didn't need to cling to it and imagine I, it had anything really to do with me. But then I'm just a person in the world and these things are going to happen. And, you know, the work I do is kind of geared towards helping people in some ways. And so I have a right, you know, intention in livelihood. I do what I can as a person, but I can't be like a savior and like right. every possible moment I yeah. imagine that I'm something that I'm not. And, you know, so I was able to just kind of say, okay, that happened. Nice. So, so you guys are with John. <laughs> That's John. You don't have to do it. People know I don't like it. Well, you're already on the camera, so. Johnny. Yeah. Um. I I could talk for hours about analyzing what you said, but what I, what I will say is just outstanding. Um, and that you. We all know that the Dhamma is very basic, and I always say it's simple, it's direct, but it is very nuanced. Mm. It's not mystical, it's not magical, there's nothing hidden, but it is very nuanced. And that that little the nuanced aspect of the, of the slight difference between stress and suffering, mm. that stress occurs as a consequence of having a human life. Suffering is taking it personal. And if you, the way you explained it, it was a Salat Sutta also that you included mm -hmm. um, it was just an outstanding teaching as as the duos are all our teachers are what a what a great class but everybody you know I, i'm sitting here as the, the founding teacher um 
there's a line in the Course of Miracles I've mentioned it here a few times, not that this has anything to do with the Course of Miracles, but it's the beginning of the manual for teachers. And it says each teacher-student relationship is maximum. And as you're teaching, I'm thinking how much I've gotten out of teaching and then hearing it reflected back at all of you and the other people that come here. Um, I just realized how powerful what this guy figured out 26 mm -hmm. years ago, because all we're doing is powering what he said. Yep. But be able to understand the nuance as you do is just remarkable. But then because of that, Bridge is able to see something, mm -hmm. uh, see an aspect of the Dalma through your teaching. And that's just how it's supposed to be, isn't it? Well, it's your nuance too, John. So I got it from you. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> David. Yeah. Hi, David. Start coming to understand what this practice is. It's this spectrum of restraint from this starting point of mindlessness to this nuanced, like rough version of restraint to the more nuanced wise restraint and you, you heard it from Bridget and Deborah and Tom just in this one class we heard different versions of restraint uh, and that's what this is as your practice develops it becomes more nuanced and right view is at the height of wiser strength and that's where you're you're abandoning these things that are clinging so bridget's description of her week is like exactly that mm. it's not you know what you describe as enlightened but look at where she's probably started with mindlessness to where she is today. And it's, you know, it's it's like this slide rolling restraint. Mm -hmm. So, and again, just, just a, I learned to be a teacher. Ah. Ditto, right back at you. Um, so we'll end the class with, um, Karenia Menasuka. Thank you, everyone. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wisely skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child. 
So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Thank you. Hey, John, do you still want to talk this morning? I'd love to. I'll be home um, anytime after uh, an hour from now. An hour from now, he said. Uh, and he'll be home all day. 11.30? Sounds good to me. Cool. I'll talk. I'll, I'll dial into the Zoom room at 11.30. Great. Thanks again, James. Thank, Thank you. If I'm not there, just send me a text. Send him a text if he doesn't Zoom. Got it. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate yeah. it. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.